we've been speaking from this this little diagram that that illustrates this tug of war that's going on between the Lord and the enemy for what I've kind of coined as the fruit of our souls. And when we're influenced by the enemy, it's through our flesh, and it produces the kind of fruit that we see here, um, immorality, impurity, uh, sensuality, sorcery, enmities, disputes, dissensions, these kinds of things. And, And when we set ourselves to what the Lord is speaking to us through the Spirit, we get the fruit of our souls that looks like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness. But the, the context of the conversation is, has been all about the fruit of our souls as it kind of relates outwardly to other people and, and, and what our witness looks like and, and how they would perceive us and how they might perceive the Lord based upon seeing us. Today, the conversation is going to be more inwardly focused because the attack is not just through us, it's to us, right? And we have to know how to respond so that we can be victorious always. So that's, that's the slant of the conversation today. Um, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus speaking, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If we don't have the ability or if we don't exercise what God's given us to be able to engage the enemy and his devices, then we won't have life abundantly. He will steal and kill and destroy all the goodness that God has for us in walking with him in this particular part of our life journey with Jesus. So the, the, the objective of the Lord is in the spirit, and the objective of the enemy is in the flesh. I'll read you some verses. I'm going to read it from uh, the New American Standard, and then I'm going to read it again from the New Living Translation so that the words can sink in and you can see what the Lord is saying, maybe from two different translation perspectives. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6 from the New American Standard. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Same verses from the New Living Translation. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, now they translate that word, I think it's S-A-R-X in the Greek, they, that, that NASB calls flesh, they call sinful nature. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and to peace. So consider thoughts like of of hope versus hopelessness or anticipation and assurance versus despair, uh, being content versus jealousy or um, coveting, enough versus lack, self-love versus maybe self-hatred or poor self-esteem. These are all the kinds of ways that the enemy tries to attack us in our minds to get us away from the spirit, away from the abundant life, away from the beautiful witness, and away from just the joy of the Lord that he's deposited inside of us for us to enjoy. There's so much scriptural instruction regarding the mind. Romans 12.2 reads, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4.23 says, And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. How you 
manage your mind. I was going to say the gray matter between your ears, but I, you know your your heart, the, the heart that's not necessarily the beating heart in your chest, but how your mind and your heart interact with one another, how your mind perceives things, the way that you look at and and see the world. If it can be from the, the perspective of the spirit, then you can be joyful all the time. But if it's going to be from the perspective of the world and of of through the flesh, it's it's going to be a constant miserable experience day in and day out and day in and day out okay all right so there's two things going on well maybe there's more than two things but there's two things that i'm going to talk about today one of them is we're in a battle right there's this this constant battle that's going on and honestly there's victory in this battle to the point where it doesn't always feel like a battle matter of fact it often doesn't feel like any kind of battle at all as we learn how to compete how to agree with the Lord versus agreeing with the enemy. But but part of what's going on is battle. It's literally he has an objective and he has an objective and the outcome is going to be here or it's going to be here. The, the, the method is lies and deceptions for the enemy and truth for the Lord. But the second thing that's going on at the same time is testing. The Lord is testing us. There's nothing that happens to us, about us, in this world that the sovereign Lord hasn't allowed to happen. Now you could say, well, well wait a minute. Now it wouldn't be God's plan that, that a person had to be demonically inspired would go into an elementary school and shoot children. You're right. It would not be God's plan. But if it happened, God allowed it. And someday maybe we'll understand what God did through it. 9-11 wouldn't have been God's idea, but God allowed it to happen because he's sovereign and he's in control of everything. So the trials and the tribulations that come upon us in our lives are not just the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the Lord allowing things so that he can continue to perfect us, to be like Jesus. James chapter 1. If there was ever in my young Christian life, even well into my more mature Christian life, and, and now I guess in my still very much maturing Christian life, there's a scripture that I couldn't quite understand. James 1, 2-4, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in uh, nothing. Who in the world would consider trials as joy, right? In the flesh, you never would. They're no fleshly fun to be tried and tested, but in the spirit, you can consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. And, and all of you probably at any given moment right now are facing some kind of trial or another. And the easy thing to do is to stay so focused on what the issue is. And when you're focused on the issue, if Jesus were to do that, what would have happened is he would have thought, oh my gosh, the flogging is going to hurt so bad and they're going to rip my skin out of my back. And when they drive those spikes through my hands, I've seen people crucified before. Oh my goodness. And all of this turmoil and churn going on, we could focus on that in the flesh because it likely hurt like crazy when they drove the spikes through his hands and through his feet. And when they, when they took the cat of nine tails and ripped the flesh off his back. But scripture says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. See, Jesus knew there was something on the other side of all of that affliction 
that was going to work out in him and work out for him and work out for his father something so much greater than the affliction that he was going to experience in the future. When we take and we say, oh my goodness, I just lost my job. Oh my goodness, you know, so-and-so got sick. Oh my goodness, something just happened in my body. If we can be focused on that, then it's going to control our thoughts. It's going to control our countenance. But if we look past the affliction to the cross, or past the affliction to the glory that God has set on the other side, we can say to ourselves, wow, what is God going to do in perfecting me that he'll be able to use unto his glory if I focus on the other side of the cross, not on the affliction that I'm dealing with right now? That's the perspective that we have to have. First Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So, even though God is allowing us to be tested, to be tempted, He doesn't ever tempt us Himself. Scripture says. He never, ever gives us more than we can take. And he never allows that temptation to come without a way of us getting out. And, and if, you, if you think you're in one of those right now, and you can't imagine that that's true, think about the one you were in a year ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago. And you did go through it. And God did provide a way out. And he perfected in you glory in the process. Never, ever does he allow more than we can take. It might seem like more than we can take, but it's not more than we can take because his word says so. So there's two scenarios. One is spiritual warfare. The other is training. They both require the same response. And if you remember from a few weeks ago, everything seems to boil down to truth. Do we believe it? Do we agree with it? Let me give you just some quick review from two scriptures that are really, really prominent to this whole conversation. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations, or King James, imaginations, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, or that raises itself or exalt itself against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See, that's the process. The battle is between our ears. It's for our thoughts. It's for our mind. If the thought comes up, and it won't stand obedient to Jesus, to his teaching, to his character, to how he would speak, it has to come down. Yeah. If, it, if it assaults or exalts itself above a true knowledge of God, it has to come down. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds, to, to take these, these wrong thought patterns that are in our minds through the influence of the enemy, through the world, through his demons, however they got there, through the, the pains and the hurts of life, through the disappointments when people let us down. We start to see the world. Like I had a conversation with a person one time about guarding their heart. It's like, I got, I'm guarding my heart. No, you're sinning. How can I be sinning? People have hurt me. I have to guard myself. It's like when you guard your heart, what you're doing is you're, you're withholding love. Because if I give you love and you don't respond in love, then my heart gets hurt. And I don't want that pain anymore. 
So I guard my heart. But what am I really doing? I'm not loving you. Because I'm afraid, because I have a stronghold. That's what our that's what stronghold in a fortress is. It's this thing that causes me to think outside of truth, that causes me to act outside of God's will, which causes love not to flow. That's what a stronghold looks like. Ephesians six sixteen. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Flaming arrows are thoughts. When, when this part of the process is happening, and it happens all the time, they're flaming arrows, flaming arrows, flaming arrows. Did you see the way that person looked at me? Flaming arrow. Did you hear what? I wonder what they meant with that tone. Flaming arrow, flaming arrow, flaming arrow, flaming arrow. He has access to our thoughts. So does, so does God through his angels and his Holy Spirit. Access to our thoughts. Flaming arrow, flaming arrow. He says, lift up the shield of faith, and with the shield of faith, you extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's how you put them out. doesn't say they're not coming. doesn't say they won't even land in your mind. It says it's faith that acts as a shield. So when the, when the thing says, oh, i got to guard my heart. Look, at that person's going to hurt you. Don't go over there and, and, and express love to them because they might not love you back. Faith says that love is unconditional. The word of God says, love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's when you're exercising faith that acts as a shield and it extinguishes that lie, that flaming arrow of deception that the enemy is trying to get you to come into agreement with. Okay? All right. You know, I have notes. And somewhere in here is stuff I was going to talk about. I think I already did. All right. So there's, there's three keys that I want to talk to you today about winning this battle, about about passing the test that God's allowed to happen in our lives. Three things. The first one is knowing the truth. The second one is intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And the third one is literally you got to endure the test and you got to fight the fight. There is no way around enduring the test and fighting the fight. Because sometimes what happens when you don't endure the test and you don't fight the fight, guess what you get to do? The test again and the fight again. The test again and the fight again. When Israel went around the mountain, around the mountain, around the mountain, around the mountain, they were enduring or not enduring the test. They weren't learning from the test. They weren't being transformed as God was trying to transform them. And ultimately, the ones that came out didn't get to go in, right? The ones that came out of Egypt, because they never got it, they weren't prepared to receive what God had for them in the promised land. So we have to endure the test and we have to fight the fight. Okay, first one, truth. John eight thirty one and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. See, all of the armor of God, if you're familiar with those scriptures in Ephesians 6, they all boil down to truth. Faith protects us like a shield when we believe and agree with the truth. That's what it is. It's not any kind of weird spiritual shield. It's faith that acts like a shield. The, the literal belt is truth, right? And then the righteousness is the third example. Righteousness protects us like a breastplate when we walk in righteousness. What is walking in righteousness? It's walking out the truth, right? Love your neighbor as yourself is a righteous thing to do. When you love your neighbor as yourself, you're acting righteously, and righteousness protects you as you walk in righteousness, which is walking out the truth. You live by the truth. You are righteous. The enemy is a liar. He only lies. His only tools are lies and deception. 
not to minimize them, because he's very excellent. And he's had years and years and years and lots and lots and lots of people to practice on. But all he has to work with are lies and deception. That's it. If he can't convince you to agree with his lies, he can't control the fruit of your mind that comes out in your own self-perception as well as the way you interact with other people. The way that you battle lies and deception is with the truth. It all boils down to knowing the truth. So the first key is you've got to know the truth. You have to know the truth. The second is intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Why is it important to be intimate with the Holy Spirit? A million reasons, but a couple of really good ones are he's smarter than us. We're not smarter than the devil, right? The the scripture says that God created the angels a little higher than man. So my perception is that the smartest, most capable man is a little below the least capable angel. And ultimately, Satan is an angel, a fallen angel, but an angel of the very highest order. So for me to think that I have any ability to compete with Satan on my own is foolishness. So I have to be intimate with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit is smarter. <laughs> Say that one fast. The Holy Spirit is smarter than the enemy. There's nothing the enemy is going to do that he can't see him do it before it comes. And the Holy Spirit is intimate with me. He can see into my mind. So let me give you some scriptures. Uh, Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. That's a good prayer. The, uh, Psalms 94, 11, The Lord knows the thoughts of man. See, he knows my thoughts. He knows what's in there. He knows what the flaming arrows are trying to put in there. John 14, 16 and 17. Jesus speaking in these next three. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. What's key? Truth. We have to know the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. John 15, 26, when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me, me being Jesus. John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. If we don't have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, we aren't going to be intimate with the truth because the deception will take the truth and twist it. Take the truth in part to use it just to bring out bad fruit in us and bad fruit through us. The, the Holy Spirit is almost like heaven's alarm system for us. So if you're trying to walk out Christianity, which is not an easy thing to do, to walk in holiness, in lockstep with the Lord, without an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, what will happen is this voice will be very loud. But the alarm system that says, hey, that was a flaming arrow, that was a flaming arrow, will be so silent that you won't be able to discern where the attack is coming from, and he will draw you into this bad area because he's really good at it. So the first key is we have to know the truth. The second key is we have to be intimate with the Holy Spirit. And there's no way to do that without doing that. You can't be intimate with a person that you never talk to. You can't be intimate with a person that you never spend time with. If you're going to have the value of heaven's alarm system to alert you and then empower you, you have to know how he speaks, the still small voice. God speaks how God speaks. 
we have to learn to hear him. He speaks with an audible voice. We, we have testimonies of that, but that's not his typical way to speak, right? If, if he were to part the clouds every single time and speak with this big God voice, Pat, that's a lie. Don't listen to that. That's not true. It would be so easy, but that's not how he chooses to do it. He chooses that we would have relationship. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Okay. The third part is we have to endure the test and fight the fight. James 4, 7, and 8 reads, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Submit therefore to God, submit to God, resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. Submitting to God is resisting the devil. If all you ever did was submit to God, you would be the most excellent devil resistor on earth. They're diametrically opposed. You can't be submitting to God and not resisting the, the devil. Amen. There's no way. In your submission to God, you are resisting the devil. How do you do that? Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Now, Paul is, Paul is, this is there's more scripture that comes before this that talks about be anxious for nothing, right? Anxious, anxiety is in our thoughts, right? I have anxiety. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Where do the flaming arrows land, right? Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He goes on then to say, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Set your mind. Remember Colossians 3.2? Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Anything. Dwell on these things. These things you have, or the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Isaiah 26.3. This is New Living uh, Translation. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's where you set your mind, and you get to decide. Someone's trying to help you to decide, and someone's trying to help you to decide, but you got to decide. Remember this scripture here, Matthew 6, 22. I don't have it in my notes. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's, it's a scripture about choosing where you're going to look and what you're going to listen to. You get to decide. I get to decide. Let me share some testimony. One of the, one of the greatest things that the Lord has ever taught me was this whole battle. It was for probably the better part of six or eight months, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. I battle with things like pride, gossip, selfishness, food, even disease symptoms, like sickness was a, was a flaming arrow attack in my mind. Um, thoughts of inadequacy, personal conflict with other people. And as the Lord started this process, he showed me that it's what I allow in my mind. The, 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 the attack of the enemy is like poison. And it's almost like intimacy with the Holy Spirit is what sets off your gag reflex. If you've ever, you know, eaten a Brussels sprout, for example. I I actually do like them now, too. But, I mean, if I put a Brussels sprout in my mouth, it was like, well, okay, that's a dory trail. Um, But the point is, I felt like the Lord told me I was a gossip. And I'm like, Lord, 
Seriously. Now, you could tell me a lot of stuff bad about myself that I would believe, but I'm not believing that one. And then one day I'm driving down the road, talking with somebody, and he stirred me, the Holy Spirit, because I was having thoughts about another person. And they were coming out of my mouth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a gossip. Lord, you have to deliver me from gossip. Have to stop. So it got to the point where, I mean, I didn't really understand flaming arrows that much yet at this point, but I could, I could sense the thought manifesting in my mind. And then I had to decide because there was still some fleshly part of me that wanted to have that nasty conversation, but I could decide not to have it because I was aware of it before it came out. And then, I mean, you could say this about, I mean, I'm sure there's depths of humility that I haven't found yet, but my pride was nasty. Selfishness was nasty. One time I'm standing before the, the, the pan on the, kitchen, um, on the kitchen stove, and there's three, three pieces of chicken. Some of you are better at math than others. There's three pieces of chicken. And there's a big one, you know, there's like a daddy piece, a mommy piece, and a baby piece. And I always take the daddy piece. If it's the biggest piece, I take it. And I just about got my fork in there, and I heard, I heard the Lord. He said, selfish, because he'd been working. He'd tell me I'm selfish. I'm like, Lord, how am I selfish? He said, selfish takes the big piece. I mean, I heard this. I'm like, well, God, I always take the big piece. He says, all right. I'm just telling you. I'm like, oh. Well, I know Teresa's always taking the little piece, so I went with the middle piece. I left the big piece for my son. But that's the Holy Spirit inside of me. That's that voice. That's this process of intimacy and knowing the truth, revealing my heart, helping me to stay in peace. I used to have thoughts. All you kids, hide your ears. Adult thoughts, right? Okay. Bad adult thoughts. Really bad adult thoughts. And they would get in my head, and I mean, it'd be like, an hour's worth of adult thoughts in five seconds. And I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, Pat, 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 because I was just, I was living in it. It's, and I heard him say, it's poison. It's poison in your mind. Also, I thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Why am I having this in my head? He taught me this thing about whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, if there's any excellence. I said, Lord, I don't know how to do that. He said, scripture. So if you ever see me going, my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You know that I am battling the devil in that moment because that's what I did. I taught myself a scripture. So I'll have a thought. Maybe it's an adult thought. Maybe it's a selfish thought. Maybe it's a gossip thought. Maybe it's a you pick it thought that doesn't belong in my brain. And I, I mean, it's so easy now, at least to the part that I'm aware of. I could, I could chase it off in a second, just in a second. But if it won't go, I know what to do. Dwell on these things. So I just start to pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie. I'm submitting to God. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk, I have had instances where I will have a terrible thought come into my mind and it won't want to go. So I will start to recite. I'll get about to the point where I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I'll stop and I'll say, I know why I started doing that, because I was chasing off a thought. I can't remember what the thought was. I mean, that's not a senior moment. That's, that's a confirmation that says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's how I know it's a flaming arrow, because it's gone. It's in here because he's in here with it. And then when I submit myself to God, 
I'm resisting the devil, and it says he has to go. And he does. And I can't even remember what was the thought that I, I mean, as hard as I try, what was it? Because it was a flaming arrow that got put out. It had no life anymore. That's how you do it. It's, it's, it's not a hard concept, but sometimes it's a very hard thing to do because in the moment, it's a battle. And it's tasty to gossip. Don't gossip. Don't taste that. But it, but it is. I mean, there's something inside that wants to do that. But the Holy Spirit is all the time saying, hey, poison, poison, red alert, red alert. Then we got to decide what to do with it. Where will we set our minds? Second testimony is just, it's like right now. It's happening right now. I didn't know the church finances are in the tank. I mean, I'm, and listen, I'm not trying to take a second offering. Trust me. I, I trust God. And at the same time, our personal finances went in the tank. We had allocated this money for this adoption. We had some more money. Church, I mean, matter of fact, you need to know this because you've heard me say we've been the most busy volunteers at Church on the Street for almost five years now. We are now officially employees of Church on the Street. So, yeah. Woohoo! And, and, and so you're paying us. And it's good because one of us was going to have to get a job. I think one of us is still going to have to get a job. So the devil is firing these flaming arrows into my mind. How are you going to do this? All the money, pretty much, that you have is allocated to adopting the girls. You can't spend it. The money that you get in, I mean, we don't have a house payment. We don't have a car payment. We have no credit card debt. All we have is insurance, groceries, utilities, taxes. <laughs> but my point is, it's not enough. So I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to lament because I'm getting flaming arrows. I'm in my prayer chair in the morning, and the Lord says, well, wait a minute. What does truth say? What does truth say? And all of a sudden I start hearing these scriptures. Scriptures like this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you don't know Matthew 6.33, go read the scriptures before it. Basically saying, why do you worry about anything? Don't you know that God knows everything that you need? Don't you know that he's amply able to provide everything that you need? What are you spending your time worrying about? Focus your attention on his kingdom and his righteousness and all the stuff you need to be provided for you. It's either true or it's not, right? Now, I'm not saying he's going to provide it like, I'm going to go home today and open up the kitchen cupboard and there's going to be a million dollars in there. He might provide it as a job. I don't care. But I know he's going to provide it because he said he would. My job is to seek after his business. His job is to see that mine is cared for. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? That's the truth. What in the world am I afraid of? He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. He might allow me to be tested. He might allow me to be tried. But he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And then the last one I just put down that popped into my head was, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What kind of a perfect father with that kind of love is going to leave me in a place that I can't deal with? Or better yet said, that can't be dealt with. Third point. Thank you for still being here, but y'all long huggers. After all is said and done, we have to stand. We know the truth. 
We have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We fight the fight. But at the end of the day, we have to stand in the truth. Because we might not always see the relief of the test instantly when we want it to be. Remember, if it's all joy, if the word is true, it is joy to be tested and tried. It is joy. Because you have to look on the other side. What is God working in me that's going to transform me into Jesus' likeness that will bring him glory that he's going to use me to do? Man, bring on the trial because the outcome is going to be awesome. You got to stand. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. Ladies, I don't know how you're going to feel about this one, but guys, this is going to be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. That's a pretty straight on statement. Be on the alert, right? Be on the alert. Listen. Be aware. Holy Spirit is showing you. He's trying to get you. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Cowboy up. I don't know. Maybe that's what he's trying to say. You got what you need. Now stand firm. It's going to pass. Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And having done everything, to stand firm. There is no alternative. We have to stand. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Some translations fear. We have no spirit that's timid but of power and love and discipline. Remember Romans 8, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. In the trial, your mind wants to go to the place that brings death. You have to stand firm and dwell on those things which are lovely and pure and excellent. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. It's because of God's love that we have the tools to fight, and it's because of God's love that we have the power to endure and pass the test. Remember, it's from glory to glory unto the glory of the Son, right? The perfection is unto like Christ, from glory to glory unto His ultimate glory. So every test and every trial is from glory to glory unto His ultimate glory. Let me leave you with this scripture, and then we'll be done. 2 Corinthians four seventeen and 18. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The key to the battle of our minds is to know the truth, is to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And when it's time that we stand firm in what we know to be true that we exercise faith, we exercise righteousness, we take out that sword, which is the word of God, which is truth, and we do those things that we do in order to resist him. And when we resist him, he goes. He absolutely has to go. Amen? Now, just one last, just a little bit of commentary. I, I don't know where most of you are at. You have to embrace this. I promise you, sometimes the the... The battle is so subtle that we don't recognize it as a battle. We just recognize it maybe as life or as a person that we can't really get along with or, or who knows what. When I had the Lord showing me these things, one time it was sickness. Everyone in my house was sick, literally sick with the flu, throwing up, fever, everything, except me. And I start to feel the symptoms. 
And I'm like, oh, Lord, man, I can't get sick. Everybody else is sick. And I heard the Lord say, I taught you how to deal with this. And I said, well, Lord, you never taught me how to deal with sickness. I mean, pray for the sick. I get that. He said, no, I taught you how to deal with this. I'm like, are you talking about the Lord is my shepherd? He said, yes. I said, wow, these symptoms are a flaming arrow? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Wow, no symptoms. Even sickness. You have to understand. Now, I don't know that that's every single sickness, but it was that sickness. Big time. Big time. I can tell you so many testimonies. The point is, you have to be alert. You have to be conscious that he's always, always, always trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Every relationship you have, even with your own self, he's trying to destroy. So be on the alert. Figure out whatever it is that is that excellent thing that Paul talks about in um, Philippians chapter 4. And if nothing else, do what I did. Teach yourself a scripture and set your mind to the word of God and watch what happens to him as he flees. And you can't even remember what the attack was about because it was only present when he was able to be present. Amen. So, so Teresa just wanted you to know because she's, she's been literally, I mean, from the very depths of battle, this thing for the last few years. You heard her share some of her story the other day, Leather uh, Sunday, that... Um, we have to reach out to one another because sometimes it's just overwhelming and you, and you may not be able to find your way out of the forest for the trees. And the other thing she said, and, and I, I told her this as, as she was battling a time or two, it's like, I can pray for you. And I did. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And you should pray for one another, especially if you know somebody is struggling, but you can't fight the battle for them. And it's so easy to put the thing down and just just succumb to it and just kind of Live in your misery. But, but the victory is ours. It's actually already been won. It's lies and deception to think that it's not. And, and you, you just you have to fight the fight. I, I mean, I told you, it's so easy for me now with these attacks. I can just put them out of my head so easy. I have so much joy in my life. But it wasn't easy at the beginning. At the beginning, I had to wrestle them down again and again. And I can't tell you, I've, I've, I've cited Psalm 23 a million times. A million times. And it's only the fiercest, fiercest, big flaming log arrow that I even have to start with the Lord as my shepherd anymore because I've become very sensitive to the Holy Spirit alerting me. That heavenly alarm that goes off in my head and says, whoa, that's not a good thought. Get that out of there. And without that alarm, honestly, as much as I read my Bible, I'm still susceptible to drink poison, so to speak. Okay, let me just pray over you. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you've equipped us for the battle and you've equipped us for the test. I pray that none of us, Lord, fail any test, that we only take every test one time. I thank you that your spirit is so much greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And it's not like a a measurable difference in greatness. It's immeasurable how much greater you are than the, the prince of the power of the air. We ask you to help us, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you, to submit ourselves unto you, resist the devil, and walk out this life of abundance that Jesus has provided for us. I ask a blessing over each and every one of these people. I ask that they walk in the abundance of the kingdom, whatever that looks like, Lord, whatever that looks like. And I pray to you always in Jesus' name, amen.